Hi, this is Mark Plotkin uh, doing a piece for bestsaxophonewebsiteever.com, also the best URL ever. Um, I have here today uh, Bob Reynolds. He's uh, taking the time to talk to me uh, over in Los Angeles. Um, he's one of the best saxophone players out there right now. And uh, just to give you a little bit of background, uh, you can do a quick Google about him and get a lot more. But essentially, uh, growing up, went to a performing arts high school, uh, later attended Berklee College of Music. Um, began writing and received uh, four ASCAP Young Composer Awards. And uh, fast forward a few years later, and he's uh, on the road with John Mayer most of the time. Um, so to start off, I thought um, that, you know, obviously all those things are in incredible accomplishments. The, the, the latter definitely is the one that's given you the most notoriety as of late. And um, I was specifically interested, actually, I saw you play just last week in New York at 55 Bar, and... Um, you know, it's it's really interesting to look around the room and see the kind of crowd you're drawing because there's definitely people there who are used to going to 55 Bar, and then you have people who you know m mainly know you from the pop world. And I, I was definitely curious what it's what it's been like for you to gain fans that really don't normally listen to instrumental music or jazz music, um, really just know you through loving pop music and other styles, um, but are starting to accept this other music. Has that what that's been like for you? Um, yeah, that's. That's true. That definitely, um, if you were to look around that audience, the demographic is probably different at my show than it is for some of the other shows that go down there. Um, and you know, uh, I think it's um, well, it's great, obviously, because I want to play to as many people as I can. I mean, I, that's that's the goal. Um, but uh, I think what's happened with it certainly is not everybody out of like John's audience, but you know, there's like there's like um, you know, rings or layers of fans that, you know, that are fans of his, you know, you've got obviously tons and tons of people that like, oh yeah, I like John Mayer music and blah, blah, blah. And you whittle it down. And then there's a small core of fans that are just like really not only fans of his, but they're just like really music lovers. Mm -hmm. And then, so maybe, you know, being introduced to those people through that, um, you know, through working with John has been great because they otherwise wouldn't have been exposed to like what I do, the type of thing that I do. And then so they so maybe they're at a concert and they hear me doing what I do in that context and mm -hmm. they go, Wow, that was really moving, you know. Yeah. I gotta check this guy out. You know? Yeah. And then and then hopefully, you know, my, you know, whatever it is that I do takes over from there. Um but, you know, the cool thing is like at first I thought maybe that those people would be the type of fans that would they would show up like, Oh, I wonder if John's here, I wonder if John's here and mm -hmm. that's not really the case at all. They're totally just um really supportive of you know what I do but I but I think it's um I think it's like it's not just because of that like you might get it you might get the door open because of that but if if the music that you're delivering on the other end of it doesn't stand on its own legs then the door's not they're not going to really stay in very long absolutely you know what I'm yeah for sure um so so for me that's the, the real benefit is and what I'm seeing now is like um it's not just like oh I I'm a you know I'm a jazz musician and I have this pop gig now let me try to get these people who like this pop music to come like my jazz music. It's more like I make music. Sometimes I make it with John. Sometimes I make it on my own. Sometimes I make it with other people. And I, the reason I enjoy playing with John, the reason that John enjoys playing with me, is because I have a certain like sensibility to the way I play. 
it works in that context. So I think when those fans find themselves at a show of mine, they're not going, gee, this is really, really different than right. what I thought. They're going, wow, this is really awesome. It's like it's like that little bit that I knew I liked already. That's the whole thing, yeah. 20, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A little bit to your music. Um, I was curious how how composing usually begins with you, because um, you know if you if, if if anyone watching Google's you actually, it's it's interesting. A lot of the videos come up. You have a lot of cool stuff with loop stations you're playing around with, which I found is actually a really fun way to write. I know you're into technology. Um, I, on your your lesson site, which we'll talk about, you know you're at the piano. Um, I was curious if you have a a usual formula, if it if it varies all the time. Um, just where composing comes from for you. Um, different places. Uh, a lot of times, I get my best ideas walking. Hmm. Interesting. Literally, just <laughs> walking down the street. I don't know what it is. It's like something about walking. You know, I've probably had. I don't know. Can't can think of them off the top of my head. But a bunch of songs where it's just like I'm just, I'll hear a and it could be a melody or it could be a bass line. It normally starts. I don't. I, I can't say that I really hear chords right. walking down the mm-hmm. street. So I either hear a melody or I hear a bass line. Yeah. One of the two. Interesting. Um, a lot of the stuff like that, you know, years ago that I was writing, the stuff that's like on that on the Can't Wait for Perfect album, some of that is like very, um, it's like bass melody centric, meaning mm-hmm. it's, you know, there's a lot of like written bass type of stuff, ostinatos or, or, or melodic bass parts, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. Melodies that that kind of mesh with those, but but maybe that the inspiration started with the bass line. Um, for instance, a song like of mine, Common Ground, first track on that CD. It's the first thing you hear. Very melodic, yeah. Yeah. So I'm in. I, you know, I'm into that. I maybe like was really into that for a definite period of time. song actually came from that was inspired by a song uh that d'angelo wrote and did with the hip-hop artist um comet on an album called like water for chocolate oh yeah so the genesis yeah. common yeah. ground is there's a, a song on common's album and it's called ghetto heaven huh. and uh they actually i don't know why they did this but they they jettisoned the original track with D'Angelo and they re-recorded it with like Macy Gray and made a video and they tried huh. to make it more like you know mainstream. Right. And now I think you can't even find the original version that had D'Angelo. But when I heard that song for the first time, I, I stole the straight up stole the first two chords. I mean that's where it comes from. Yeah. I stole the chords from that song. Wow. And the, I mean the rest, then, you know, I built upon. I, I obviously put it in a a little bit different time signature. Right. But it came from it came from you know some music I was checking out. Heavily at that time, yeah. I was listening a lot to the common. Well, one of my favorite things to do actually is uh, if I'm ever, you know, 
at a, at a party or in my car and I'm DJing with my iPod, I like to put on a tune that completely like throws my friends to be like, what is this? And uh, my one for the past few months has been uh, your version of Creep, <laughs> where I put it on and be like, whoa! Um, and uh, to be, give everyone some background, you know, a couple months ago you released a version of Creep that it, it sounds like it's maybe a quartet version of you, uh, just layered over and over again, and um, just three, yeah. just trio, okay. Anyway, well, I was going to say, you should, I, I read a little blog you wrote about some rules you set for yourself for that cover, and it was really cool, maybe tell people about that a little bit. Yeah, let's see if I can remember the rules, um, I th- I'd have to go back and check, but uh-huh. yeah, I, um, well, rule number one was I, I was going to pick a a very like well-known rock song i mean that's a subjective term so mm-hmm. well-known to me and you know whatever people who know radiohead and stuff mm-hmm. um it just i didn't i wasn't thinking about it at the time but when i did that was also when that movie the social network was like just oh yeah the reboot and I the trailer creep in the trailers mm-hmm. but that was just happenstance um and literally okay here's how that happened i happened to you know now that I'm out in LA and not New York, I once again have a car and I can enjoy the listening to, I love to listen to CDs in my car mm-hmm. because it takes me back to when I was in high school. I would listen to a whole CD, not not tracks and mixes and iPods and all this stuff, but like start to finish. Yeah. So I put, um, I had like a Radiohead compilation or something and it was just spinning in my car for a few days and you know, I just, creep just was in my head all the time. And so literally, uh, what happened was one day I started to do, I was going to do a lesson for, you know, my students on odd time stuff. And I just mm. started messing around with creep, but it naturally felt like it should be in seven to me <laughs> as things often do. Uh-huh. Um, and so I said, all right, how can I like, it's a really simple melody, you know, to do a just sort of a straightforward thing. Wasn't going to really do any justice to it. I mean, meaning like I wasn't going to hook up my computer stuff and start like, making backing tracks for right. it and do this whole digital thing. But what I was doing was I was playing and I started to outline the changes. I mean, the songs only got four chords. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was just doing that. And through doing it, I started to think, huh, this kind of sounds interesting. I wonder what would happen if, and I said, so the rules were, I'm going to give, I'm going to do three things. I mean, I'm going to record myself three times, but I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get super uptight about it and try to make like a, you know, a real perfect thing. I'm going to sort of just like open up three tracks and are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Open up three tracks. uh, Just do what I'm doing right now. Like as I'm sort of warming up, but turn the record button on and do each one independently of the other, I think was the idea. Mm -hmm. Meaning I laid down like the first track and it was me just sort of, um, you know, in, in that rhythmic fashion, kind of vertically outlining the the chord progression. Mm-hmm. But then I muted that track when I laid down the next one, and then hmm. I muted that track when I laid down the next one. Yeah. So the idea was I, I set the I kind of knew how long it was going to be. Yeah. But I wanted to just I didn't even I wasn't even trying to be like super accurate with it. I just knew generally the idea was like even if I'm playing playing the chords up and down, I'm singing the melody in my head. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's cool. It almost Oh, yeah, continue. and then I unmuted all three, and I'm like, all right, let's, you know, let's see what happened. <laughs> and, you know, that was that. Yeah, it, it gives it almost like a Baroque sound, the way it's all arpeggiating, yeah. like, in and out of each other, you know? Yeah, and then what I did was I just, um, you know, the one thing I did, which didn't revol- uh, involve any additional adding to it, but I just, uh, 
if you listen to that recording or the video of it or whatever, when it when the melody drops out and it's just sort of the two counterpoint horns, mm-hmm. I do bring the melody back in, but right. it's really quiet off yeah. the distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just kind of haunting and stuff. And then it eventually goes down to two saxophones, and then it, and then it ends with just one. Yeah, you know? that's great. Cool. Um, well, uh, my next question was, you know, you recently you've really stood out by also taking on you know some music education a little bit more seriously in in a way that I found most jazz musicians, but all musicians are particularly scared of, which is using the internet. <laughs> um, so uh, why don't you tell people a little bit about your your video lesson site? Okay, so um, it started uh, a couple of years ago when I moved to LA. The genesis of it was people were still asking me about taking lessons with me in New York, and but I didn't live in New York anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was I was somewhere in LA, and I was talking to a, you know somebody, and sort of mentioning what was going on. They're like, "Oh, you should just you know do it through Skype or whatever." And I was like, "Oh, that's an interesting idea." So, um, so that's how it started. I literally would I would say to these guys, "Well, you know, I'm not in New York, but we could try this." And so it started with a couple, and you know that grew into a handful. And you know, so I had guys sort of spread around the globe that I was doing these Skype lessons with, but um, and it was it was effective. But it was weird. It wasn't the same as like having a private student that, mm. you know, in the flesh right there and every Wednesday you guys get together and, you know, it wasn't that relationship. It was more like a coaching, like we'd check in every two weeks or something, you mm. know, because um, I wasn't giving lessons to people that it was like, here's how you play the saxophone day one. You know? Right, right. Um, and it, so it was, I have to credit one of my students who's a, a, a gentleman who's a little bit older than I am and, you know, is a actually a a professional golfer and, and hmm. from the other side of the world and he was like you know you really should start making videos of this stuff because you know then you don't have to be there you know I could I could see this stuff when we're not having lessons so on and so forth it got me thinking and uh, what I what I really the realization I came to was that you know if I had eight different guys and we were all gonna and I was gonna have eight Skype lessons in a week let's just say mm-hmm. I mean I was gonna be telling more or less the same information to each one of them right. might be somewhat tailored to them you know but their questions were, were pretty much going to be similar questions and my answers were, weren't going to vary extravagantly yeah. you know mm-hmm. and it just started making more and more sense that even though it was, it's a lot of there's definitely a lot of work on the front end putting it all together it's really great because it's a way that I can sort of batch out my thoughts on stuff and share it with guys and then they can kind of you know, all discuss with me, but discuss with each other. Yeah, it does. You know, whether whatever part of the world or they're they're in, it's on their timetable as well. And you know, um, I, and and in terms of why, it's like I love teaching. I mean, I, I guess I love um, like I love getting other people inspired. Is yeah, what it comes down to, you know. And I, I would think it's sort of a similar thread. Like if you're at one of my shows. I mean, my my what what would make me the most happy is like when the show is over, you feel like totally inspired. Whether mm-hmm. that whether you're a musician and it means like you want to go practice, or whether you know you're one of these like fans we were talking about at the beginning of the interview who who's man like I've never heard music like this before. Mm-hmm. I'm so happy right now. Like that that fills me with joy. Yeah, the same feeling when you know somebody I shared information with as a you know a, like a student mentor or student relationship goes oh my gosh like light bulb moment I, you know I never thought about doing something this way I just watched this video that you made it like opened my eyes now I'm gonna go like practice all week stuff I never thought of like that's exciting for me yeah 
Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite. Yeah, one of my favorite things. I mean, full disclosure, I'm I'm a student. Um, one of my favorite things is sort of the non-judgmental review of of a certain concept. You know, growing up, it's like if you're in a classroom, you know, music or any subject, they're sort of like, well, I didn't. Totally get this. Am I going to raise my hand and ask her to repeat it, or are people going to look at me right. funny? And I, I felt that pressure, you know, all the way through music school. And even though there's, you know, obviously there's there's nothing like being in person to to really learn something and and connect with somebody. But also just the ability to like, all right, I'm in my practice space where I'm comfortable. I'm going to watch this until I understand how to do it. And you know, there's a lot of you know, embarrassingly basic things that I feel, you know, like I finally understood because I was able to watch it enough times, you know. Yeah, uh, that's you know. exactly because, you know, yeah. that's the, and that's not, there's nothing like um, weird about that. Like, yeah. I remember the, I took a lesson, like, when I was in college, I remember going to New York and taking a lesson with Chris Potter. Maybe I took a couple with him, but I had to, like, basically, sh- I had to do so much to convince him to just even give me the lesson in the first place. Like, I was such an uber fan. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing is, when I finally got to, I mean, I was so nervous. I was nervous the bus ride from Boston to New York. I was just terrified. I couldn't even believe I made it all the way to his doorstep. <laughs> I was just, I was blind with with just anxiety. And then, like, we're playing, and like, in a, you know, he's like, just takes his horn out, like, let's just play duo. And I'm like, what do you mean, no, no Abersol, no, play no? <laughs> like, just, like, everything dripped out of my. I didn't know what I was doing, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was, I mean. Do I remember that lesson, or do I just remember the terrifying experience? I remember the terrifying experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for exactly what you're saying, I, even though I had listed down some questions, like I, there was, I was not in. A, it was in a, wasn't a good way to absorb that information. Right. Whatever information was there, and certainly your analogy about like raising your hand in class, I think that's true. And one of the cool things about also a video that that you don't get even in a personal one-on-one lesson is the repetition. Mm-hmm. Pause it, rewind it, watch it again, or come back to it a week later yeah. or a month later and go, oh, you know, it's like a movie where you, know, the, you see it again and you get something out of it. And that was another thing that um, this student I was talking about who, who kind of planted the idea in my mind, he was like, he had recorded one of our lessons that we did on Skype, you know, and and he was like, man, I watched that like 20 times over right, the last week right. and stuff <laughs> started to sink in mm-hmm. and it was so much more than just our real-time lesson. Yeah. Um, Just a few more questions. Um, uh, Also, uh, along the video lesson line, in in terms of your teaching style, something that particularly intrigued me is you've had a few videos where it's it's almost like I'm in uh, you know psychology class or something like that, and it's uh, it's really cool. It's you know that not every video is is you with your horn in your hand, and, and there's one specifically, uh, think it, say it, play it, where you just talked about this philosophy of really learning changes and not expecting that you can play something if you can't put it together in your head first, you know, which I love. Um, were were those passed down to you by someone, or is that just from you checking out things other than music? <laughs> it's a long, it's a long story. Uh-huh. Um, I won't, I won't uh, bore you with that. It, there's a lot of ways that that came together through mm-hmm. some di- different stuff that I've been involved with in my life. Nothing, nothing weird or anything. I just, just like they weren't anything I learned from musicians. Was, so I'm just trying to say it wasn't anything I ever learned in music school or in music books or anything like that. But um, you know, I just. I'm, I'm, I love to learn about stuff, and um, it, it was something, I, you know, that I, I had come across in, in like sports psychology books, which mm-hmm. for a time I was reading, you know, because just 
when I kind of had the realization years ago about like the mental game. You know, you watch sports on TV, you don't really think about it, but like watching Mariano Rivera like come in and close for the Yankees, it's like, yeah, like he's throwing a pitch and he's, his arm's got to move the right way. But he throws the same pitch every time. Like what's really happening here is his mind is at work. That's what's right. winning these games. It's his, you know what I mean? Like the mental power that these guys have. And I started kind of digging in golf and tennis and, you know, in, in baseball and whatever. Um, and uh, so it wasn't something I intentionally tried to say, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to see how I can use this with music. It was the result, uh, as many things tend to be in life it was the result of like uh it just i had that information and then i was in a situation where i got frustrated and i I like somewhere i dug in and like tried to use an analogy with a student and it was like in this one instance Mm -hmm. i I pulled all this stuff and i said wait a minute let's try this and we did it and it was like night and day yeah it was the most remarkable thing i'd ever seen Mm -hmm. and then i was like wow this is this is powerful right here yeah you know, I think I said on that blog thing or on that video, like I was I was teaching somewhere and I had I had lessons with about eight or ten different students in like a two day period. It was mm-hmm. like a back to back, crazy lesson a thon, and you know, it was during that time period where the, with the last several students where I kind of stumbled on this. It's not that I'm the first person to. T- it's not that I like I invented anything, but maybe the way that I was putting it together and, and using it, it just had a had a really strong effect, and it was just, you know. In summary, it's like what I realized is it's back to the Chris Potter thing. Like the kid is coming in, so the guy's coming in and having a lesson with me. He's nervous already, but he's also not, you know, that far along in his development. And, you know, so yes, he knows the blues because he plays it in his combo at college and maybe he's taken a solo in big band, mm-hmm. but his knowledge is so surface level. Right. It doesn't have any roots. It can't stand on its own. He's not confident, you know, and he's reacting. Meaning, like he's he's stumbling over himself mm-hmm. as he tries to play. Right. He doesn't. He, he's 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 like two measures behind himself. And I realize, like, what's what's happening is he can't see ahead. He really can't see. It's like you're driving and you're blind. You know what I mean? You're just it's. And so when we started going through these visualization exercises, and I and I we said, all right, I'm gonna take 15 minutes, and we did this. I'm telling you, man, we it was like we flipped the switch, and all of a sudden it yeah. was a whole different player in front of me. It makes perfect sense. I mean. Um... Maybe I can maybe I can link to some information on it for for people watching. But the the basic concept is that how do you ever expect to play something complicated or simple if you can't if you can't visualize what you're playing and then if you can't just say it or you know forget you know using your fingers and and relying on on the instrument to get it out. It's you have to be able to wrap your head around it first, and a lot of people yeah, gloss over it. And that what was hap- was happening. Yeah. We were just using like a you know the basic blues form as a as a structure to work off of. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying to this guy, can you even talk me through the blue? Well, right. No, he couldn't. Well, if you can't talk me through it, how how do you expect <laughs> to it on this like piece of metal in your hands? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if you do, you're just what is it? Just lucky muscle memory from it's like I said, it's surface level. You're never if if you're only getting that deep with things. You're never going to have the confidence to use space and use rest. And what what a nervous players sound like? They play all the time. Right. It's, it was just like a jumble of notes rolling into the net. I just keep playing and keep playing. It's just kind of mm-hmm. noise. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no forethought or structure to what's coming out of your instrument. Well, thank you so much for uh, for sitting down with us and. Um, yeah, uh, um, hopefully we'll uh, be hearing a lot more from you in the future. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Great. Uh, uh, uh.
Mm-hmm. <laughs>